0: what to do when you don't know what to do. Let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, how grateful we are for your word and for your presence with us, for your instruction to us. We commit this time to you and ask that you will anoint it and bless it and speak to us, and that you will use these words to whomever will hear them to glorify your name and to bring all of us closer to Jesus. Amen. I just don't know what to do. I just don't know what to think. What should I say? Where should I go? Life is so individualized and diversified and detailed that there's not a blanket formula to give us specific answers to any of these questions. But there are foundational approaches given to us in god's word that help us to arrive at a personalized decision with personalized direction about how to answer each of these questions i want us to look at a few checklists that might help us um, in each one of these situations certainly all of them are interrelated And you will be able to do that for yourself as we work through this. But let's begin with thinking because that is the springboard of our behavior and our choices. It's so easy to get dragged down into negativity in a situation. And the devil tries to lead us to despair. He wants us to see the negative things. He wants us to be weighed down. He does that by shifting our focus from what God says to think about to what other people say think about, or what Satan might put in our minds. Think about Peter when he was walking on the water to Jesus. Peter was walking on the water with his eyes on Jesus, but all of a sudden, the wind and the waves got his attention. And he looked away from Jesus to the situation, to the circumstances, and when he did, he became afraid and he began to sink. When he began to sink, he prayed the shortest prayer in the Bible. Lord, save me. He and Jonah have a lot in common. We'll talk about that another time. But when he prayed, When he was sinking, he got right down to business. That's what he wanted. Lord, save me. And scripture says that immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him, rescued him, pulled him back up. Peter lost his focus. He took his eyes off Jesus. We are inclined to do the same thing. So we're in a world today where it's easy to see waves rolling. It's easy to see the storm. This is the time when we need to keep our eyes focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's begin with what do I think when I don't know what to think? Colossians chapter three, verse two says, set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. Our mental stability, our spiritual stability, our physical health comes from how we think. And when we put our faith in Christ, we overcame the world. That's the truth. That is the truth of scripture. When you became a Christian, you overcame the world because you stand in Christ. When we received the Holy Spirit that came in salvation, we became a partaker of the divine nature. Christ is in us. We received the great and precious promises of God. We escaped the corruption of the world. We have the mind of Christ. All of that happened as a part of our salvation. And that means we have the same character, the same passions as Christ. He is in us. He has changed us. Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 7 says, As a man, or as a person, thinketh in his heart, so is he. As a woman thinketh in her heart, so is she. Uh, I did a word study on thinketh. So many times when I decide to do a word study, you think thinketh, you know what thinketh means, and so you don't thinketh much about it. But sometimes if you do a word study, and that's what happened to me with this one, you go, Oh, oh, because there's such a transfer when you take a rich language like Hebrew or Greek and try to put it into English. And so when I did this word study, this this verse, uh, in this verse, the word thinketh means that one's thinking or our minds serve as a doorkeeper to our lives. Think about that. Your mind is a gate or a security guard perhaps to what you do, to what's in your life. So think about your mind as being that gatekeeper, that that place where choices are made about what we're going to let into our lives and into our behavior. Now, when God is your God, you think differently. You have a new mind, you have the mind of Christ. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, tells us how to think. In fact, it's an imperative. He says, think on these things. Philippians 4, 8. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, think on these things. Let your mind dwell on these things. Let your mind Focus on these things. Another word for that is inventory. Let your mind inventory these things. Whatsoever things are true, what is truth? God's word is truth. Truth is a person. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is the Lord Jesus. So there's the first one. What is truth? God's word and the Lord Jesus. Whatever is honorable. Honorable means reverent. It means um, not trashy not mundane or common. Uh, Whatever is worthy of respect or awe is considered to be honorable. Then he says, whatever is right, that means righteous, in harmony with God's eternal, unchanging, divine standard of holiness. It is consistent with the holiness of God. Whatever is pure, that means morally clean, undefiled, Whatever is lovely, sweet, gracious, patient, generous. Whatever is of good repute, or some translations say good report. That's what is, what is well thought of, uh, what is highly regarded. And so we have the option of controlling our thoughts. And these are things that he has given to us, us with which we can frisk our thoughts. When we have a thought, we're gonna frisk it with, is it true? Is it honorable? Is it of good report? Is it, is it lovely? Frisk it with those things. And if it doesn't uh, pass the frisk test, then get rid of the thought because we have the option of controlling our thoughts. Sometimes we don't feel like that, but that's exactly what the enemy wants you to feel. If we don't control our thoughts, then our circumstances can knock us down. I'm sure most of you maybe have had that happen. Whatever we feed our brains is going to determine our choices. Whatever goes in is going to come back out. If we put the word of God in us, then we're going to live out the word. Christians are not to focus on things of darkness. The Bible calls on us to think Thinking, some people want to think faith is just a shot in the dark. You just believe something's going to be so. That's not biblical faith. The Bible calls on us to think and to reason. Isaiah chapter one, verse 18 says, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And so what's he saying? Think about this. Put your mind on this. Figure this out. So we learn to focus our attention completely on right things. Um, When we are worrying, we've got to change the direction of our thoughts. We've all been guilty of worrying, but what's happening when we're worrying is we're looking at the wind and the waves. We're looking at the storm instead of looking at the Lord Jesus. Faith is a reasonable Thoughtful response to revealed truth. The scripture is revealed truth. And so I'm going to reason and I'm going to um, make a, a reasonable, a reasoned, thoughtful response to what this truth is. Salvation is an intelligent response to God's offer. What's he said? He said, look, you're born a sinner. You're doomed to go to hell. I have made a way to change that. Will you accept it? So I'm going to reason through that that response. Will I do it or won't I? It all depends on how I'm thinking about it, how I'm thinking through it. Um, It's easy to worry. It's easy to be confronted. It's easy to be distracted with all kinds of things. Health, um, bills that are coming in, family issues, things going on in the world. We get distracted from all of that. And so we get way down with it. Jesus said, I want you to go with me for a minute to Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six. I just wanna read verses 25 through 34 and I want you to watch the reasoning of this. Watch the reasoning of it. Look, he's calling us to think. Matthew chapter six, beginning in verse 25. Jesus said, for this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you're gonna put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father, your heavenly Father, feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit cubit to his life span? And why are you anxious about clothing? Look at the lilies of the field. Observe how they grow. They don't toil. They don't spin. But I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, watch him say, think, think through this. If God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow's thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O people of little faith? Do not be anxious then saying, what am I going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we, we going to wear? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. Gentiles are people who are away from God. All of these things Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows already that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Focus on him. And all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore... Do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So he's calling us to think. He says, don't be anxious. He says, look at the lilies. Look at the grass. Look at the grass. Then draw conclusions about what God is going to do for you. Think. Are you not worth much more than they? Let me ask you a question. If we look at the world, are we going to find what is true? If we watch the news, if we read social media, if we just look out there, are we going to see, do you see what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and of good report? Nope, I don't. And so he's calling on us, don't dwell on that. Don't let your mind be absorbed in that. Because you know what? If that's what absorbs your mind, that's what's going to come out in your emotions, in your spirit, and in your life. Input precedes output since there is excellence. That's an interesting word because in the original, in this translation it says, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. That's one of those ifs in scripture. Um, I don't understand all of it, but there are various classes of conditions of if. And that means that sometimes if can be translated since. And that's true in this situation. So you don't have to say, if there is excellence, you say, since there is excellence. SINCE THERE IS EXCELLENCE AND SINCE THERE ARE THINGS WORTHY OF PRAISE, THINK ON THESE THINGS. LET THESE THINGS FOCUS IN YOUR MIND. HOLD ON TO THEM. HOLD THEM IN YOUR HEAD. AVOID THINGS WHICH NEGATIVELY INFLUENCE YOUR THINKING. GET AWAY FROM THEM. TURN IT OFF. PUT IT UP. FOCUS ON THE LORD JESUS. Then. What do I do when I don't know what to do? What do I do when I don't know what to do? Many years ago, our church sponsored a week of revival services in our high school football field. And an evangelist named Mike Gilchrist preached that week. And many people came. It was a community-wide revival. There was a great move of God in our community during that time. And many people were saved. Some of our young people were called into ministry. Uh, others dealt with sin in their lives, recommitted their lives to Christ. It was it was a precious time before the Lord. And I was at that age where I was asking, okay, what is God's will for my life? You know, um, growing up in church Sunday school all of those things then you know your teachers always taught you you need to find god's will for your life you need to find god's will for your life and it was getting close to time maybe when i was in college going to college god had not spoken to me strongly about what his will was for my life you go through what do you major in what do you what do you do where do you go and so reverend Gilchrist came to bremen several times and on one occasion I was able to have a conversation with him. And we talked about how we know God's will for our lives. And he gave me five things that I want to share with you because they have served me well through a lot of years. And they not only help us know what to do, sometimes they help us where to know where to go. Um, God's word tells us how to think But these are very helpful. Let let me share them with you. Five things. First one is conviction within. Conviction within. Now, this is prefaced by right thinking. By right thinking. Now, we've already talked about that. But if our thinking is not God-focused and in line with God's thoughts, then our inner convictions are going to be fleshly. They're going to be faulty. So once my mind is filled with scripture, then I can, and once I'm submitted to that, then I can look at what are my convictions. In other words, what do I really want to do? What is that part of me, the deepest part of me that says, this is what I know I need to do. Now, mind you, at that point, you may not want to do it, but it's just hanging there. And you may be looking for another way, another answer but the conviction within. Psalm 37 verse four says, "'Delight yourself in the Lord, "'and he will give you the desires of your heart.'" Now that can mean different things. We'll talk about that another day, but one thing it can mean is he's gonna give you your want to. He's gonna give you your want to. If you are surrendered to him, committed to him in his word, he's gonna give you the desires of your heart. He's going to give you the desire that needs to be there. Once your mind and your submission is in concert with the Spirit of God, ask yourself, what is my conviction? What is my conviction about what I need to do in this situation? What is in my heart? All other things and distractions aside, not any of the what-ifs or the maybes, what is in the deep desire of my heart? or the awareness of my heart. Conviction within, number one. Number two, circumstances without. Circumstances without. Revelation chapter three and verse eight said, says, the spirit spoke to the church at Philadelphia saying, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door, which no one can shut, because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. This door specifically to the Philadelphian church in the book of Revelation is the door of opportunity for giving out the word. There's one interpretation of scripture. There are many applications. So for our application at this point in time, we're going to say that we can look for doors of opportunity to serve the Lord. Where has he opened doors? We limit our ministry when we force doors open. We postpone what it is God really wants us to do. And so when we have doors of our own choosing and we try to force them open, then we delay things. We confuse things. We mess things up. We need to look around and ask God to show us what opportunities are given to us. What is his mind? Where is he opening that door? Um, it may be something that's not completely open, but it's caught your attention. It caught your notice. It's, it's there, and, and so what you can do then is hold that before the Lord and wait and see if it truly opens. Is it really open? In John chapter 10 and verse 4, Jesus said, He goes ahead of his sheep, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Now, one thing that I love about this is that a shepherd doesn't drive his sheep. He leads his sheep. Jesus leads us sheep, and he goes before us, and then it is our task to follow him. We hear his voice, and so we follow Him, and we look for open doors of opportunity where He would choose to use us. The third thing is the counsel of others, the counsel of others. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 14 says, Where there is no guidance, the people fall, but in abundance of counselors there is victory. Then in Proverbs 15, he says, without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. Proverbs 27, verse nine says, oil and perfume make the heart glad. So a soul's counsel is sweet to his friend. We all need people in our lives who walk with the Lord and love us enough to pray for us, to seek God's will for us, and to seek our highest good, and are willing to tell us the truth. My dad used to say, your best friend is the person who is willing to tell you the truth. And that's what these counselors need to do. We need fellow believers who are listening to God who help us see. Well, we need to... To seek the counsel of those people when we're making tough decisions. It can be whether we're choosing a spouse or choosing a college or even choosing a medical treatment. What'd you do? How'd they treat you? Did you like so and so? We need those counselors so that we come together. And when, you know, sometimes we need counseling about when to retire. There's just any number of things that we need somebody else's opinion of. We don't see ourselves the way other people see us. We don't always have the perspective to see into the situation what other people can see. And so they can give us perspective that we otherwise would not have. So we need the counsel of others. Conviction within, circumstances without, and the counsel of others. The fourth one is confirmation of Scripture. Confirmation of Scripture. Psalm 115, verse 105, the psalmist says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. A light unto my path. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Quick means living or alive. So scripture is alive. It's living. It is applicable. It is going to speak to your heart. God wants to speak to us. He wants to speak to us. Um, He desires to reveal his will to us. And with the Holy Spirit as a teacher, the Bible is a source of life-giving revelation. He will do that. If we read it prayerfully, paying attention to every word or phrase that stands out to you, then God will apply scripture directly to your life through the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've been there and done that. Sometimes you may be reading a scripture and maybe you're seeking the Lord for something, and it may be a verse that you've read a hundred times, but all of a sudden, boing, it's just highlighted in your heart. It catches your notice. Then again, it may be a scripture that you've never seen before, that you've never considered before, and all of a sudden, boing, it's caught your attention. God will speak to us through his word, but we've got to get into it and read it. You don't have to pick a spot. Just start reading, or you can say, Lord, Where do you want me to read? Where will you speak to me? And just start and just read it and ask him to speak to you through it. We always need to approach God's word with a yes already in our hearts. Sometimes we approach God's word to say, well, I'm gonna see what it's gonna say and then I'll decide what I wanna do. Hmm. He won't tell you much. But if we approach God's word with a yes already in our hearts, then he will speak because we want to know. And when we want to know, he wants to tell us. God's word is only as impactful as we are willing to be obedient. The given that you're going to obey it makes it open much faster and much clearer. As you read, just ask the Holy Spirit to highlight words or phrases or ideas, and then just submit to whatever it says. Just in faith, you're gonna go on and do what it says do. And then watch God. And God's going to speak. God will speak wherever his voice is welcome. He will do it. Number five, the fifth one, is common sense. Common sense. First Corinthians 14, 33 says, "'God is not a God of confusion, of peace. First Corinthians 1440 says, let all things be done properly and in an orderly manner. At my age, I don't need to try to go back to college and try out for the basketball team. In fact, if I were 19 years old and in college, I would need to try out for the basketball team. I may love basketball, I may love the coach, I may admire the players, I may just be consumed, I love and love basketball, but I can't play basketball. That's common sense. I can't do it. Athletics are not part of my skill set. Sorry, they're just not there. I like it, but my common sense tells me you really don't need to do that. I will tell you the counsel of others would tell me, you really don't need to do that. So when I'm looking at common sense, I wanna say, what fits? What fits me? What is right for God's design for me? How did God build me? How did he put me together? How did he design me? How did he make me function? And so what makes sense According to God's word and according to God's priorities for me will give me peace. There will be, not be chaos. There will not be disorder. Um, there will be peace. And there won't be just a bunch of stuff. So common sense. What are my circumstances of life? What does it make sense for me to be willing to do next? Next question. What do I say when I don't know what to say? What do I say when I don't know what to say? Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 puts it this way. The tongue has the power of life and death. The stakes are high when we begin to speak. Our tongues can either speak life and build others up, or our tongues can speak death and tear others down. Speaking life means speaking in accordance with the Word of God, speaking faith-filled words, speaking words that encourage, sometimes speaking words that correct, speaking words that are fruitful, speaking words that are going to bring order and peace and helpfulness to a situation. Now, that includes, it says speaking, but I want to tell you, it includes writing, typing, posting, painting, making signs, any way we communicate, we can communicate life or we can communicate destruction and darkness and death. Proverbs 15, 4 says, the tongue can be a tree of life, a tree of life. The tongue can reconcile relationships, it can promote peace, It can encourage people who are discouraged. It can lift people up who are in despair. The tongue is an instrument that God can use. Colossians chapter 4 verse 6 says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned as it were with salt so that you may know how you should respond to each person. Now that is a recipe for a conversation that deters evil. Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned, as it were, with salt, so that you may know how you should respond to each person. Then Psalm 37, verses 30 and 31. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice, That word also means means righteousness before God. The tongue speaks righteousness before God. The law of his God is in his heart, and his steps do not slip. His steps do not slip. Luke chapter 6, verse 45 says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Think about that. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. If you want to know what a person's heart is like, listen to what he or she says. Your mouth is a loudspeaker for what's in your heart, it will reveal what's in your heart. When we think right things and do right things, we're most likely going to say right things. Because why? What's in my mind is going to come out in my life and what it's going to go in my heart. It's going to mature and develop my heart to be like Christ. First Peter chapter three and verse 15 says, always be ready to give a reason to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is within you. Yet with gentleness and reverence, gentleness and reverence. Be ready to speak. Be ready to speak words of life. Be ready to be reverent and gentle and put these things into life, into the lives of those people that are around you. And then lastly, where do I go when I don't know where to go? Where do I go when I don't know where to go? I love Psalm 32 and verse eight. Psalm 32 and verse 8, God says, I will instruct you, I, I, God, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. God says, I'll take care of that. I will instruct you and teach you in the way we should go. Now, if he's going to instruct me and teach me, what am I going to have to do? I'm going to have to look at him. I'm going to have to study his word, and I'm going to have to hear what he says, and I'm going to have to be teachable. I'm gonna have to let him teach me. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. God himself, his eye upon you, waiting to teach you and instruct you on the way you should go. How am I gonna get to that place? Through thinking right thoughts, through taking the counsel of God's word, in moving forward. Proverbs 18:10 is another good verse. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it. Run to it and are safe. Remember when you were little or maybe you had a small child and maybe that child got afraid of something and that child ran to you to jump up in your arms and for you to take it, him or her, and protect it. That's what we can do with God. We run to him and are safe because just like Peter in the water, once we cry out, save me, his hand was immediately there, scripture says. He doesn't have to get to you because he's always where you are. And that simple cry unto the Lord will make him immediately hold his hand out and lift you up, lift us up. Here's another place he says, go. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19. Go ye therefore, all people, men, women, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe whatsoever things I have commanded you. Whatever I've commanded you, you go teach it. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. That's where we go. We go to him, we go in his name to wherever he gives us that open door, that open door of opportunity. How can we tie all of this together? I kind of got started on this and then couldn't find a, a stopping place. How can we tie all this together? We are in a world that seems engulfed in chaos and evil. I don't know when I've been ever exposed to so much. Um, partly is because there's probably more media focusing on that than there has been maybe in the past. But the devil often tries to use something unexpected, or challenging to lead us to despair. That's what he wants for us. He wants us to be weighed down. He wants us to not give words of life to the world, to not give an example of the life that God brings to a situation. Um, We've talked about a number of things. And again, all of these are interrelated. But uh, they're just some things I realized I kind of left out. But they are kind um, kind of rules of the road that are holding up all of these things that we've just talked about. They're rules of the road for the life of believers. And um, let me just share a couple of things that have been helpful to me. The first thing that's foundational to life and to all of these things is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. Um, the apostle Paul calls on Christians to pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Now, what does that mean? I can't just sit down all day and pray. No. It means that praying is going to be a way of life. It's going to mean that while you are sitting in your chair at your desk, while you're driving down the road, while you're walking down the sidewalk, while you're in the grocery store, it's on your mind. And you're having this conversation with God about what you see, what you think. You've invited him into that situation. You are bowing before him. And so it is continual incessant dependence on God. That's what prayer says about us. Prayer prayer says, I know that I am dependent on God. I know that. And I express that dependence by talking to Him, by asking Him, by worshiping Him, by praising Him. And so praying without ceasing is, is like breathing. It's like breathing. You're just gonna breathe in, you're gonna see things, and then you're gonna breathe things out to God. You don't have to say them out loud. Sometimes I just wanna say them out loud, but you don't have to. Listen to me. God knows what's in your mind, He knows what's in your heart. So you can be standing there looking at somebody and praying, and they don't have a clue. But God does. Why? Because He is with you, and He is listening. We're going to pray without ceasing. All of these other things have to be grounded in a life of prayer. Second thing I need to do always is give thanks. Give thanks. Philippians chapter four, verses six through eight. You probably know it. Be careful or be anxious about nothing. Don't be anxious. Be anxious for nothing, about nothing. But instead of that, in everything, By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests, plural, requests, be made known unto God. And the result of that is that the peace of God, which passes all human comprehension, will keep, hold your mind, will keep your hearts and minds where? In Christ Jesus in Christ Jesus now I'm real grateful that it doesn't say feel thankful it says give thanks it's a choice it's not a feeling there are some things that we need to thank the Lord for that we don't feel one bit thankful for But it's not about feelings. It's about obedience. It's about surrender and bowing before Him and being dependent to Him. What can we do? We can give thanks that God has a purpose for whatever it is He's doing. God doesn't do anything without a purpose. Uh, He is working all things together for good to those who love the Lord and who are called according to His purpose. If you pray like that, and if it's a habit, if it's a lifestyle for you, then the peace of God which passes all our comprehension is going to fill you with tranquility. You're gonna be fine. You're going to feel safe and relaxed before God. It begins with a grateful heart, a grateful heart where I'm willing to just thank him, because that says, I know you're in control, I know you're there, I know you're up to something good, even if when I can't see it. Just thank him for being involved and for what he's doing. Then another thing is there are just some practical things we can do that help. Um, One thing that helps is to just play uplifting, spiritual, worshipful songs. Especially scripture songs. You remember when um, King Saul would get just in a tirade, just in a dreadful wad, David would play his harp and it would calm him. Same thing happens to us. You know, we need to play uplifting scripture songs, praise songs in our homes. Um, we need to share with friends. Um, we need to pick a passage of scripture, just, and, and we're, we're pretty good about reading scripture, but I wanna challenge you to take it a step further. Pick a passage of scripture that is on your mind and, and purpose to read that same scripture verse every day for 30 days. That same passage, just camp out right there and stay with that passage. And what begins to happen is you begin to saturate yourself with that passage it will be on your mind, it will be in your mouth because you will be able to quote it at the end of the 30 days. And you're going to saturate yourself with the word of God and it will transform us, it changes us. The next thing that we don't need to do, and today it's hard, Psalm 37 verse one, do not fret over evildoers. We're not to spend our time fretting We're not to focus on the evildoers, we're to pray for them while we're focusing on the Lord God. Don't fret. Listen, one one of the things that makes us fret is that we have expectations of depraved minds that they cannot perform. Depraved minds, unsaved people cannot choose what is good. They don't have the capacity. The only reason you and I can choose what is good is because the Holy Spirit indwells us. So we're not gonna fret about them. We're going to pray about them and we're going to ask the Lord to let the fire of the Holy Spirit that is within us speak to them. It may not be pleasant because it will convict them. But what are we gonna do? We're gonna be reverent and gracious, seasoned with salt Trusting in the Lord with focus on Him, with focus on Him. I guess the last thing would be just go to the Lord and ask Him to order your steps and then just do the next thing. Just do the next thing. That is what it is by walking by faith. When, when, you, when you just choose just to take the next step as you see it, God will either redirect you, or He will affirm that you're going in the right direction. Just do the next thing. It's one day at a time, one step at a time, and the Lord Jesus is right there all of the time to keep your feet on the path that He has chosen for you, if you're willing to walk it. May the Lord bless you, and I trust that we will do this together. Amen.